glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Please stand. Acts chapter four, or Exodus chapter 14. I threw you there for a second. Exodus 14, beginning verse 1, we'll read down through verse 18. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Pihahiroth, between Migdol and the sea, over against Baal-Zephon, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land, the wilderness hath shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh, and upon all his host, and the Egyptians, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 chosen uh, chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with a high, with a high hand, but the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea beside Pihahiroth before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace." And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore Christ thou unto me, speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward, but lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thy hand, thine hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, Upon, and upon his horsemen. Thank you. you. may be seated. We'll read more of the chapters we go through this morning. I'll give you three things this morning about the children of Israel. And I believe in these three things we can see, and we'll use the New Testament to confirm this, that this stands as a portrait, this crossing of the Red Sea. In fact, Paul will refer to it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 as a picture of what's taken place for children of God who've been saved and and uh, signified their belief in Christ through baptism. And there's some symbolism in other instruction there. But here it's a picture uh, of what the Lord does for us when he saves us. Specifically, what I believe we can see this morning is how God, through our faith in Christ, has dealt with our sin. Uh, what we understand, we dealt with a few minutes ago as we introduced the message and asked, Why did Christ die? We understand that the Lord Jesus had to die for sin. He did not die for his own sins, for he had no sins. He died for our sins. But what we often struggle with is what he did enough to deal with my sins before a holy God. 
And I believe this. Even after the crossing of the Red Sea, how many times did the children of Israel discuss going back to Egypt? Repeatedly. Meaning they had been liberated, truly liberated from their sin, but it still sought to have a hold on them in their mind and in their heart. Meaning God got them out of Egypt, but it took 40 years for him to get Egypt out of them. Now, I've heard that said by other preachers, and it's true, and the same is true for us. When God has saved you, what we find in the Bible is that salvation is an instant. It is not a process. There is a process that leads to it. Don't misunderstand. God will speak to you. He'll send preachers to you. He'll prick your conscience through the preaching of the gospel. God has initiated that, and there's a process that leads. But the moment you believe God concerning Jesus Christ and what he's done for you, the Bible says it's called being regenerated. Titus chapter 3, uh, verse 5, we are saved by his mercy, the washing of regeneration. It's called being born again. A birth is not a process. There's a process that leads up to a birth, but a birth is an instantaneous event. It's something that happens in a moment. It's something that's permanent. When God has saved you, he has saved you. The Bible calls the life he gives you eternal Remind us this morning, if something can be stopped or cut off, it's not eternal. Eternal means without end. Everlasting means without end. And so then, the life that God gives through His Son, Jesus Christ, is eternal. And we see that typified in what took place in the Passover. But the practicality is, now God has released these people from Egypt and the slavery that's there. And that slavery typifies our slavery to sin. There's no doubt. If I asked you this morning, and I will ask, if I asked you to give a word to describe sin, give me some words if you would. I'm going to try to have some interaction this morning. If I say sin, what's the first word that comes to your mind? Amen. Destruction. Okay, very good. Another? Cancer makes us, it's symbolic of sin, no doubt. It goes right along with the destruction. Another? Transgression of the law. Very good. Unrighteousness. Why am I not hearing pleasure? Pleasure in sin for a season. That's why we serve it, and then it makes us serve it. Sin is a taskmaster. We hear a lot today about oppression, do we not? Sin is an oppressor, and it ends in destruction. Sin brings. It, sin is the transgression law. It's disobedience to God. But how many of us have transgressed God's law, knowing that it destroys, and we did it anyway? Sin is deceitful. All these things, as we look at Egypt and the the bondage that the children of Israel under in Egypt, it is a tremendous picture of what it's like to live under the bondage of sin. It is very clear in the Bible. And I'll give you some texts of Scripture later in the New Testament. The Lord Jesus said in John 8, 34, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Know you not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are, uh, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Sin is over and over and over typified in the Scripture as a taskmaster. We become slaves to sin. Therefore, that's why we're preaching this as a type of salvation. The slavery that the children of Israel knew in Egypt for 430 years is a, is a tremendous picture of what it looks like to live in the, under the bondage of sin. They wanted to leave Egypt. They didn't have power to. So God raised up a man named Moses, a type of Christ, a picture of Christ. Uh, He would say that the great prophet would one day come in fulfillment of his typology, but raised up Moses to lead those people out of Egypt, just as the Lord Jesus Christ has been raised up to lead us out of the bondage of sin. But here's what happens. Once Moses starts leading, his leadership in their life doesn't seem to be like that of a savior, but of a nut. 
Why? Because he leads them into a trap. And here's where your faith in Christ this morning. Maybe you say, I have trusted that Jesus Christ shed blood for me and his death on the cross did pay for my sin. I know he is the fulfillment of that sacrificial lamb there in the Passover. I see that. I understand that. But now that he is your savior, he has liberated you from the bondage of sin and now you're a servant to him. He's leading the way. It's like Moses was leading them. And perhaps as the Lord leads you, you feel like the more I get into his word, the more I feel trapped. I want to show you this this morning. We see, as I said, three things about the children of Israel that I believe correlates to us as having faith in Christ, even as these people exercise faith in Moses. And as we trust the Lord Jesus Christ, may I say, Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. So as we trust his word and follow his leading, we can know that God himself, by the Lord Jesus Christ, by his indwelling spirit, is leading our lives. But there are moments and times where God, in order to reveal who the Savior truly is, and that's him, will lead our lives so that we can understand our role is to trust him, not only to have paid for our sins, but to lead and direct our lives. The last time we looked at this series of messages, we we looked at the fact that the Lord was not only leading them out of slavery, but into the land of Canaan, a land of victory. When God saved you, he led you out of a life of bondage and slavery to sin. And his will and desire for your life is to bear much spiritual fruit through faithfulness to him, through victory over sin. Not only Not only being bondage under it, but victory over it. And here's the first step for the children of Israel in that. And in this... In this event, we have such a tremendous picture. I want you to consider the position that these people are in. I began to already speak of it, but as they've come out of Egypt, God told Moses specifically where to have them in camp. And he says, between the Red Sea and Pihahiroth, meaning a place where the only way forward is through the Red Sea. So they they have the, the flood of the Red Sea in front of them. Let's read again Exodus 14. And the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they return, or that they turn and encamp before Pihahiroth between Migdol and the sea, over against Baal-Ziphon before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land, the wilderness hath shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, and the Egyptians, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So here's what Moses knows. God says, I want you to camp here because I have a plan. I want to deal with Pharaoh fully, finally. Pharaoh has been oppressing my people. He has been making them slaves. He let them go. How many of us know Pharaoh liked to harden his heart? Time and time and time and time again. And so God is going to make an example of Pharaoh. You can read about that in the book of Romans. This is what takes place when you harden against God. Destruction does come. But God's going to deal with Pharaoh ultimately and finally in, in through the Red Sea. So God has a specific purpose for leading the children of Israel to exactly where they are at this exact time. God knows this. Moses knows this. Guess who doesn't know why God's leading him the way he is? The people of Israel. It's not as though Moses said, here's why we're doing this. He's the shepherd. They're the sheep. They're following. He leads them to this place. God had a plan. His plan was not their destruction. His plan was their deliverance. Now, remind us this morning that God is, he does not delight, even in this destruction of Pharaoh, he doesn't find delight, according to the book of Ezekiel, in the destruction of the wicked God is a deliverer, God is a savior, and for those who put their trust in him, he is committed to their salvation. Paul said it this way, Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, 
and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. The children of Israel had trusted God through Moses to deliver them from Egypt and from Pharaoh. And where God was leading them was in order to accomplish that salvation. But here's the position God put them in. In front of them as they're camped is the Red Sea. Before we get very far, behind them are the armies of Pharaoh. So one day they look and turn around and Pharaoh hears they're trapped in the wilderness. If you move right now, Pharaoh, you can surround them and you'll get your slaves back. Yes, they ki- their God killed your firstborn, destroyed the land of Egypt, but you can still have your slaves. You know what Pharaoh was probably thinking? I'll get them back and they'll rebuild everything that God destroyed. He wants his slaves back. May I say this? Pharaoh and his armies are a picture of what? Sin. Your sin does, it pursues you. Sin lures you, pursues you, and does not want to let its captors go free because the author of sin is Satan. We know that. And these Pharaoh's armies, so here's the flood of the Red Sea in front, and here's the foes behind, uh, enclosing upon them. Verses 5 through 9 says, And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this? that we have let Israel go from serving us. And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with in high hand, but the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them in camping by the sea Beside Pahiroth, before Baal-Ziphon, verse 10, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, thou hast taken us away to die in the wilderness. Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we tell thee, that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. You know what they're saying? God didn't lead us out here to save us. He led us out here to kill us. May I say, this? shame on them. Why didn't they trust God? Very good question. Had they not followed Moses thus far and he'd led them out of Egypt? But the moment that he led them in a way they couldn't understand, Guess what? When he led them in a way they couldn't explain, how many of us know this? You got the Red Sea in front of you, and it wasn't, they didn't walk through in, in knee deep water. The Bible says the Red Sea, not the Reed Sea. The Red Sea. There are modernists who teach they went through the marshy area. That's not true. That doesn't require a miracle. You know why they teach they went through the marshy area? Because they believe that's how people get saved. You walk through the hard-to-walk waters. God didn't divide. Too hard for God to divide a sea. He had to divide a little marshy area, little confidence in God. Now here, the children of Israel are literally trapped. If God doesn't save them, no one will. They've got Pharaoh and his armies behind, 600 chariots closing in. And as I say, we're drawing a parallel, so let's get the parallel for us. For you and I, the Lord Jesus, we've, uh, if you've not trusted him yet as your Savior, I urge you to do so. He died for us. He raised from the dead. We put our trust in him, but then he begins to lead our lives, and he wants us to understand that salvation is his work. 
It's a miracle for a person to have his sins forgiven, to be made new, to go from being a slave to being a liberated servant of God. And so they are trapped with the Red Sea in front of them, Pharaoh's army behind them. Pharaoh's army, a picture of the life of sin they had previously lived. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And I guarantee you, if you're a sincere believer this morning, you're, excuse me, you're going to come to a point in your Christian life where you're going to say, I thought my old life was behind me. It's catching up. It's going to overtake me. I want to be free from sin. I want to live for the Lord. I'm tired of serving sin. I'm tired of the guilt. I'm tired of the shame. I'm tired of being a slave to something that I hate in my soul, but want at the same time. I'm sick of the confusion. And along you hear of one who died for you and can set you free. And you say, so much for that. I'm trying to go forward following the Savior, and all I can see is the judgment of God, a big red sea in front of me. And I turn around behind me, and my past life is catching up and pursuing me. Now what do I do? Keep doing what you did to get you there. Follow the Lord. How? May I say this today? God is the same God today as He was 4,000 years ago. He's not lost one iota of power, of might, of righteousness, of holiness, of mercy, of kindness. No attribute of God has been stained by the sin of man. The grace of God is greater than the sin of man, Romans 5 tells us. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. But how many times are there fear-filled Christians, believers who say, I'm trapped. I can't go forward. I can't see any way forward. And now I see I'm just going to be a slave to sin again. And all Pharaoh's going to do is come and kill us. All I have to look forward to is death instead of life. I thought we had a life in Canaan, but we're going to die right here. Do you realize how quick they were giving up on the land of victory? But lest we be hard on them, what would we do? Where are they supposed to go? They're trapped. Now, again, some of you, you, this resonates with you. You say, oh, I have felt this way in my Christian life. Trapped. My past life of sin behind me and no way to get forward to the life that I was promised of victory, and I feel like I've fallen for a trick. Isn't that what they said? This is where faith is put to the test. So they had the flood in front of them, their foes behind them, and what did they have within them? Fear. They were filled with fear. May I say this? It ought to be, how many of you know physically, when you feel real lethargic and you get chills, what's going on? I better get a thermometer because I got something wrong. When you as a Christian are filled with fear, get your spiritual thermometer out and take your temperature. God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The only thing that drives away this kind of fear is trusting God's word. So I want you to see this morning their position. They got the, the, the Red Sea in front of them. They've got their foes behind them and their fears within them. Let me read you by correlation here, John chapter 3. What will happen is God begins to deal in your life, and the Word of God becomes clear, and it brings you to a position where you say, there's no way forward. I can't go forward because of, of who I am. I can't cross the Red Sea. I don't have power to do that. If I turn back, I can't go back. I left that life of sin and bondage behind, and you can feel like, again, that God's Word is trapped you someplace or tricked you. But what God has done is positioned you in a place to see what He can do, not what you can do. 
God intentionally positioned them where they were so they could see the might and power of God. I'm grateful for some of the things that have happened over the last two years. I'm grateful. You say, Pastor, that's an abomination. I'm grateful for some of the things last two and a half years. You know why? It has shown some of us how weak and incapable we are of changing what goes on around us and how much we need the Lord God to help us. And if it hasn't done that, then we still need some more wake-up. Amen? And I'd say this this morning. In John chapter 3, verse 17, the Bible says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but... He that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. You see, what does that have to do with Exodus chapter 14? Here's what I want us to see. As I said before, the Pharaoh and his armies represent the sin and the life of sin. They've been living in bondage. They, 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 they dare not go back to that. The Red Sea represents dealing with the judgment of God before you. How many of you today are ready and prepared to stand and represent yourself to God and, and make your case as to why God should let you come into his presence? God says this, and here's the rules of heaven. No liars are welcome in heaven. Now, how many of us are ready to make our case that we deserve to be there? Not I. Kind of creates a red sea in front of us, doesn't it? How do you get across the judgment of God? And then behind you, you have a life of sin. That's what's led you to the red sea. (laughs) What do we do? We need a Savior, don't we? Someone who can deal with the army of sin behind us and someone who can deal with the sea of judgment in front of us. And that's what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. You realize if it's your job to deal with your sins and annihilate them and make them go away, you're going to perish. We need a Savior. And therefore, that's the position God put them in where the only hope of of survival is someone powerful enough to deal with the Egyptian army to do so. That wasn't Israel. Moses is a shepherd, not not a captain. Someone powerful enough to deal with the sea in front of them They were not able to do that. Where we're at today is you and I are not righteous enough, therefore not powerful enough to deal with the sea of God's judgment, nor are we powerful enough to deal with the sins of our past. If we were, we wouldn't need a Savior. And that's the position they found themselves in. But then we find their provision back to Acts chapter 14, or Exodus 14. I keep calling it Acts. Exodus 14. God made a provision starting in verse 13. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. You know what? No need to fear. Watch what the Lord's going to do. No need for you to try to deal with the army. No need for you to try to deal with the Red Sea. Just be still and see what God can do. See what the Lord will do. And see the salvation of the Lord. And then he says in in verse 13, which he will show you today, to you today, for the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more for how long? Forever. God's going to deal with these people that have oppressed you. Verse 14, The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore Christ thou unto me, speak unto the children of Israel, that they go forward. Not time to stand still now. Go forward. But lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it, 
and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them, and I will get me honor upon Pharaoh, and upon all his hosts, and upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. Do you see the promise of God? God says, Moses, you're going to lift up your rod, and I am going to part the sea. We dare not say Moses parted the sea. God did. Moses lifted his rod. (laughs) How hard is that? Trusted God enough to obey. And he said, I'm going to deal with the sea that's in front of you and I'm going to deal with the army that's behind you. And all the children of Israel have to do is trust and obey and I will show what I can do. And so God makes a promise in verses 13 through 14. I'm going to deal with 13 all the way down through verse 18. I'm going to deal with the army and I'm going to deal with the Red Sea. Now Moses, a picture of Christ, acts upon, of course, the word of God, lifts his rod and parts the Red Sea. God had a promise he gave them. We have promises about salvation, do we not? God says, I have already, for you and I, he's already dealt with our sin. On the cross in John 19, verse 30, the Lord Jesus did not say it is started. He said it is finished. The cross of Christ is not what the start to dealing with your sin. God in Christ dealt with your sin in the person of Christ through his body and shed blood on the cross. Your sin and my sin has been conquered. It has been conquered by a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. What we must do is rest in what he's done. And so then the judgment of God before us has been dealt with through the person of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2, 5, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So in this text, verses 13, all the way down through verse 30, we find the promise of God. He said, I'm going to smite the Egyptian army. I'm going to divide the Red Sea. God says this, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is that not a promise? John 3, 16, is it not a promise? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So let me explain to me, how does God do all of that? How does he deal legitimately and in reality with the sins I've committed against him? It's a miracle. We must accept today, we're in a world that wants to see signs. God's not going to give unbelievers signs. But for believers in him, he does still work miracles. God miraculously deals with, in a real way, the sins we've committed against him so that we are truly and genuinely liberated from them pursuing us and controlling us. Read Romans chapter 6. Know you not that they which are, uh, are, are, are that have died with him and sin, we're not to live unto sin any longer. We are dead with him. We live with him. We've been liberated from sin if we are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not a fairy tale. It is a reality. And even as God promised to part the Red Sea, God has promised to pardon the sinner who puts his trust in Christ. It's a promise. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He's promised to give His indwelling Holy Spirit to those who believe on Him. That's a promise of God, yet it requires a miracle of God. And as long as you and I look at our salvation, is that not what Israel needed? Did they not need a physical salvation on that day? And as long as we look at our salvation from the standpoint of what can I do, your heart will be filled with fear. You cannot deal with God's judgment and you cannot properly deal with your sin, but God can. Only God can. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 2, these things write I unto you little children that you sin not. 
And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Meaning, for those trusting in Jesus Christ, you have someone dealing with God's judgment on your behalf. And if you're, listen, if you're not trusting in Christ, all you have in front of you is the judgment of God. Then all you have behind you is your sin. One must come to the point where I say, I need God to deal with my sin. I need God to deal with the judgment. And praise God He has, even as He used Moses to part the Red Sea, God has used the Lord Jesus Christ to assuage His judgment. And what should have been death to us becomes life to us. Amen? God had a plan. He made a promise. His plan was, I'm going to judge the Pharaoh and I'm going to deliver uh, the Israelites all, all at the same time. Greater than this, they had not only the promise of God, they had the plan of God to march through the Red Sea on dry ground, but they had the presence of God to accomplish it. Verse 19, And the angel of God which went before the camp of Israel removed and went behind them, and the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and darkness to them, speaking of the Egyptians, but it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, not marshy land, dry land. And the waters were divided, and the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. The very thing that they thought was going to keep them from being saved became the means of their deliverance. It is the judgment of God on the person of Christ for our sins that gives us protection and salvation. You with me this morning? The very thing, if God were not a just and a holy God, we could not have salvation. Here we are, them instead of being drowned in the Red Sea, the Bible says the Red Sea became a fortress to them, a wall on the right hand, meaning the Egyptians couldn't get to them on the right hand, and the Egyptians couldn't get to them on the left, and then God himself with that cloud went behind them so that God himself hemmed them in so that the Egyptians couldn't get to them. You with me? So who's the Savior here? God. He put the Red Sea on their right, Red Sea on their left, and he made a way through the Red Sea. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And this we see a promise of God to save them, the plan of God to save them, the presence of God to accomplish it, and the power of God, of course, present. We see that God only could divide the Red Sea. You know what, you know what modernists do with this? I already said, they say it couldn't have happened like that. That's impossible. Well, of course it's impossible. Of course it is. That's why it's a miracle. How many? How, I, I like to ask this. How many of you have tried, you, you've personally tried to change the character of another human being? Have you ever tried it? How many of you have succeeded at changing, you personally changing the character of another human being? No way. Not on your life. I love people and there are people I love and I've tried changing them and I can't. I can't even change me, let alone change you. Therefore, you know what it takes to change a man? Not an act of Congress, an act of God. It takes an act of God to change a sinner into a saint. But here's what happens. This picture of them crossing the Red Sea is they are once and for all leaving the life of bondage behind. 
and it is through faith. What is required of these people? Faith. Did they have to come up with a plan? Did they have to come up with the power to divide the Red Sea? Did they have to come up with a way to keep the Egyptians from approaching from behind? All they had to do is trust what God said. That's it. God said, I'll divide the Red Sea. And he did. And all they had to do is walk through right with the place he provided. It's required for you to have salvation from your sin and have salvation from the judgment of God. Faith in his word. He's promised. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. John chapter 6, verse 37, I believe it is. He has promised. John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Here's the marvelous thing. When the Lord Jesus walked this earth, could we say that God was on earth in the form of human flesh? Of course. But now he's in heaven today, so is God no longer among us? God has made it very clear. He's among us today by the Holy Spirit of God, and he is as real as if Jesus were standing here in the flesh. He's not flesh, but he's as real. It is the Holy Spirit of God who accomplishes salvation in a person's life. And so as they have the presence of God to accomplish their salvation, even so do we. Titus 3, 5 again. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That regenerating work, that's the work of God's Holy Spirit in the heart of the person that trusts the Lord Jesus Christ. So their position, they have the flood in front of them, their foes behind them, fear within them, but they have the promise of God, the plan of God, go forward, the presence and power of God, and of course in this, the preserving work of God. Verse 26, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength. When the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, there remained not so much as one of them. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. We see God preserved them. I want to give you, as we begin to wrap up here, because I'm going to finally look at their praise in a moment. But I want us to see especially this truth that the Egyptians are symbolic of our sin and our sinful past. Guilt brings the Egyptians of our past awful close, doesn't it? What deals with sin in our lives? It is what God did for us through Christ on the cross. If you try to rationalize or think through your sin, you'll only become filled with fear. But when you can realize that God has already provided a victory over your sin through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, just like he provided them a way across the Red Sea. You and I can realize that God is our liberator, not us. Good works don't liberate you from sin. Uh, We could go through the whole list, but the fact is it takes God to... Let me put it to you the way the Lord said it. If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. May I say this this morning? If you want to serve sin, nothing I've said is for you. All you can expect is to be swallowed up in the sea of God's judgment as were the Egyptians. 
The Egyptians are the picture of those who don't want God's salvation. And instead of having a deliverance through it, they were swallowed up of it. The Egyptians were the rejectors of God's word. They were the idolatrous ones. They were the ones that said, no, we want to use other people for ourselves and our sin. We want no God in our lives. That person can expect nothing but the wrath of God. How shall we escape, the Bible says, if we neglect so great salvation? If we neglect that salvation, there remains nothing else but a certain fearful looking for of judgment, as Hebrews 10 says. So this morning, if I don't want liberation from sin, then I'm an Egyptian. (laughs) That's where my heart's at. But if a person says, no, I don't want to serve sin, that's called repentance. When you say, Lord, you remember Exodus chapter 3, God had seen the affliction of his people and heard their cry. They said, God, we want liberated from this. If this morning you say, I don't want to serve sin. Uh, yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I sin, even when I don't want to sin. But I sure would like to be delivered, but I'm afraid that I'm going to be consumed. Hey, Christ saves once and for all. And when these people crossed the Red Sea, God led them across to show them, I have dealt with your past. I have dealt with Egypt. It has no longer any claim on you. Christian this morning, this is especially for you. If you've trusted Christ, then rest in Christ. If you've trusted what Christ did for you, then rest that He has paid for your sins. It's done. It is finished. It's God who deals with your sin. It's God who provides salvation. And He is the Savior and not we ourselves. We trust in Him. And so then, let me give you a number of scriptures that I believe will just bring this to clarity. Proverbs chapter 5. And bear with me, we'll wrap up here in just a minute, a few minutes. Proverbs chapter 5. I want to see this clear picture that the Bible paints that sin is a taskmaster, an oppressor that demands of us that we sin. There's a law, Romans 7 talks about the law of sin and death where we can say these are the things I would not do and we do them anyway. And the things that we would not, that we do, and the things we would, we do not. That means we're serving someone else, serving something else. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 22 says, His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. Uh, Isaiah 64, verse 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and uh, we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. I'm going to read it so I don't botch it. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. You're familiar with the end part of that verse. And all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. But the beginning part that I want us to see, verse 6, but we are all as an unclean thing and all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Who's in control? Us or our iniquities? The wicked is holding to the cords of his sins. We've all been taken away like the wind by our iniquities. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 34, I referenced earlier, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. The Bible says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Romans chapter 7, verses 17 and 18. Now, then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. 
Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Listen to what Paul says about himself, naturally speaking. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Ah, then here's the answer. Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Do you realize when God killed the Egyptians in the Red Sea, what he was doing? Freeing the Israelites forever from that bondage. Picture salvation. You realize what God did for us on the cross? My sins have been aptly and fully dealt with. I'm going to read you just a couple more passages of Scripture. Go to Micah chapter 7. I know you're there all the time in the book of Micah. Micah chapter 7. Jonah, then Micah, right? Chapter 7, verse 19, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Let's go back to verse 18. This is Old Testament, friend, but it is foretelling and foretelling God's way of salvation. Verse 18, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion on us, upon us, He will subdue our iniquities and thou wilt cast all their sins into what? The depth of the sea. It is Micah 7, 19 that gives us the application of our text today. What did God do with Pharaoh and his army? Cast them into the depth of the sea. You know what God does with our sins because of your faith in Christ? He liberates you from them and casts them in the depth of the sea. So that your sin, listen friend, if as Israel trusted Moses to lead them out of Egypt, you have trusted Christ Jesus to lead you out of sin into victory, know this, God has fully and appropriately dealt with our sins. He has done with our sin what God did with Pharaoh and his army, cast them into the depth of the sea. I'll say this, if you've not come to that today, you say, you know what? No, I'm still in bondage. Only one can set you free, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. But the heart of this message perhaps is for the one who says, you know what, I realize the truth of all of this, but I'm looking at the practicality of my life, and I feel trapped. May I say this, the only way out is follow by faith. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. You trust that God has dealt aptly with what's before you and what's behind you, and God preserved them. And may I say this, what we find next is the praise for God in the mouth of these people. And I wonder if why genuine and much of what we hear called praise today is nothing more than play acting. Now, I'm not here to judge anybody. They'll, they'll answer to God. But when we are performing on a stage and putting on a concert and calling it praise, but it's not genuinely flowing from gratitude toward God Again, I can't look in somebody's heart, but I know this. And it can, be, it can be us standing here singing hymns today. But if it's not genuinely flowing from gratitude toward God, it's not praise. It's play acting. And we're not here for that. 
And I wonder if why we're having to pretentiously go about praise is because we've not really gotten a hold of salvation that's of the Lord. If today we could realize what God has done on our behalf through Jesus Christ, it shouldn't be hard to praise the Lord. It really should not. And so here's what happens. But we, like the Israelites, lose our praise by focusing on our circumstances instead of our God. And that's why I have a message like this today to help us. Chapter 14, verse 30. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Have you seen the great work God has done for you in saving your soul? Have you seen what God did with your sins through the death of Christ on the cross and his shed blood? Do we realize that he truly was wounded for our transgressions? He truly was bruised for our iniquities. So when that old accuser comes along and says, you deserve to go to hell, you can say, I do, but my debt's already paid. You have, and I don't talk to the devil, just talk to the Lord, but knowing your conscience, if Christ is your Savior, he sets you free. Amen? Once and for all, Hebrews says, he died once for all. And so then today, they saw the great work the Lord had done. There was preservation of them. But then they had a perception. They were able to clearly understand what God had done for them. Verse 1 of chapter 15. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him an habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. You know what an empty tomb means this morning? It means sin has been conquered. One final verse, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. You see, Satan, like Pharaoh, threatens to overtake us and bind us and cause us to serve him. But when Christ is your Savior, you are free to serve Christ and free from the bondage of sin. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, verse 13. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, talking of Jesus, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, verse 15, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Is that not what we see playing out in the Red Sea? Here these people, let me ask you something, as the children of Israel were in their camp trembling in fear, who is in control of their spirit? God or Pharaoh? At that point, Pharaoh. But they're no longer servants of Pharaoh. He has no right to tell them how to think or feel or do. But even though they're not his slaves, they were still being controlled by him through fear of death. And today, if you don't have... Listen here. If you don't have assurance of life, then you do have fear of death. God, through the Scripture, through the Gospel gives us the assurance of life. These things are written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. If you can see this morning what Christ did for you when he died on the cross and raised from the dead and realize he has already dealt with my sins like God dealt with Pharaoh's army so that I can boldly go forward toward the judgment of God, fearing it not because God has preserved me in Christ you're going to head toward Canaan land, the life of victory for the Christian. And by the way, for those of you the Lord has saved, he's leading you. He wants you to realize 
Service to sin is behind. Service to God is ahead. This morning, this application can be multiple. You may be here and you've never personally come to believe what the Bible says about Jesus Christ being the only way of salvation, but he's the only one that can deal with your sins. Only he. And maybe God has been working in your life to get you to where you are ready to put your exclusive trust in God to save you and not you to save yourself. The gospel is not you do the best to save yourself and God will help you. That's not good news. The gospel is God has done everything and he lives to accomplish your salvation. Your part is to trust him. This morning, maybe you're going to say, I'm saved, but I need some help going forward because I feel like my sin keeps trying to overtake me. Don't fear sin. It's not your master. Christ has already dealt with your sin. Fear God. Obey him. Assured that he is your savior. He is your preserver. Come out on the other side singing, the Lord is my song and my salvation. Mm-hmm.